welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn Women's Basketball Podcast. As we're recording this, we are four days out from Christmas, so Merry Christmas. If you are celebrating, Happy Hanukkah or Happy Holidays. If you are not, just before we totally get into it, quick show note, we won't be recording next week. The schedule just doesn't work out in our favor. UConn comes back on Wednesday and it's a late game. It's 8.30, so we won't record afterwards. And then the next day, I have to get down to Long Island for a UConn men's hockey game because if you weren't aware, I also cover that team. So instead of trying to jam an episode in on Friday, maybe we'll just hold off until the next week and get both the Creighton and Marquette games in there, which we'll talk about more later on. But since we've last recorded, the Huskies are coming off two kind of similar wins. They beat Florida State closer than expected game against Florida State, closer than probably should have been game against Florida State at Mohegan Sun. And then they close the pre Christmas portion of their schedule with a comfortable win over Seton Hall. One of their more comfortable wins this season. It felt like a good old fashioned classic UConn blowout against a team. That's still pretty good. A team that ESPN's last bracket projection had them in there. So let's roll back to Sunday, even though we just watched the game against Seton Hall, but sometimes there's those games where they kind of happen and the entire game it just feels weird. It feels like something's off. And that certainly feels like it was the case against Florida state. I know Florida state got close, but I don't know. Personally, I never really thought that Florida state was actually going to win that game. It seemed like as long as UConn stopped being really stupid with the ball and stopped making really stupid decisions, they were going to figure it out. And especially with Florida state's leading scorer scoring or fouling out with about seven minutes left, it was probably tighter than it needed to be, but I still felt like UConn was in control for most of that game, but overall just a very weird game that happened, but also felt like it didn't. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with that. I thought like down the stretch, even when I think Florida State cut it to like four at some point, but I never really was sitting there like, oh my God, they're going to lose this game. They, it always kind of felt like they still had the upper hand, even when it was really close, but it was a bit of a weird game and probably just like, you know, first time you get Dorka back in, what, eight games, you have Nikamil back, but then you don't have the coach, and it's just, like, a whole bunch of weird things going on at once, and that's probably all you really need to chalk it up to. Yeah, exactly, and a lot to unpack with what you just said. So first, yeah. Gino suffered or came down with flu-like symptoms after shoot-around, He decided not to coach the team out of an abundance of caution. He also then didn't coach the team against Seton Hall. And he said in a release that he's just not been feeling well for about 10 days and everything he's been dealing with. uh, If you didn't know, his mother died last week, last Thursday. He took a trip down to Philly. I believe it was like Tuesday and Wednesday and then got back on Wednesday for the game. And then I imagine probably went straight back to Philly Thursday after the game. So just a lot of travel to deal with and still dealing with the team. He said it all pretty much just caught up to him. It doesn't sound like it's anything that serious, which is obviously a good thing, but CD improves to 15 and 0 as acting head coach. And then as you also mentioned, UConn gets Dorky Uhas back and it also gets Nico Mule back from the one game absence 
And now that we've seen UConn play two games with those two players, I think there's a couple things that stand out. First, turnovers are still an issue, even though Nick is back when before it felt like we were just largely chalking it up to the lack of a ball handler. And for Dorka Juhas, yeah, she missed, I think it was seven games, hasn't played in a month and really kind of just stepped in and it didn't look like she skipped a beat. I thought she had a little bit of rust early in Florida state and seemed a little hesitant to use her left hand to go up. So she almost tried to shoot it right-handed when it wasn't the best shot and got it blocked a few times. But for the most part, not really knowing what to expect out of her. I think her return has been really positive for this team. Yeah, exactly. Starting with the the Dorka piece, I think we've seen a lot of really great stuff from her, both on the defensive end and the the offensive end, which I think has been very positive to see. I feel like you knew you were missing a starter in all those games that she was out, but because UConn was able to find so much success about or against top teams, really until AZ went down in that Notre Dame game, maybe it's like it was hard to notice how much they were missing from her, but I think it's been very clear in these couple of games, like how much of an impact she has on this team. And I think it's going to be really positive for them going forward that they have her back in the rotation. And then on the, the turnovers piece, I think that one is something to definitely be keeping an eye on as we go forward. Part of it can probably still be due to AZ being out can also be due to, just like a little bit of rest and getting all these different people back in the lineup and a lot of changes that have happened in the last couple of weeks. But I think if we continue to see that after the holiday, it's going to be something to be concerned about. Yeah. And with Dorka coming back, I think the other part of it was we didn't really know what to expect because we'd seen her play in three games. If you count the exhibition, two of them were against teams that she should have dominated. And we saw last year that largely she dominated when she should have. And she played really well in that exhibition at the start of the season and then never looked like that the rest of the way. So how much could you really chalk up to two good performances against bad teams? And then Texas, we thought she played pretty decent, but she also had a broken thumb for most of it, half of it. I don't know exactly how much, but then the team continues on and still plays pretty well. And, you know, they definitely could have, used her i mean they still got killed on the glass against notre dame even without az fud so she would have been a big piece there but even still when you don't know what you're getting out of a player we just hadn't seen this year's version of dorka all that much and now we have both those early games but the texas game i think we can now include with these last two games it's been very consistent the numbers aren't necessarily eye-popping i mean she did have 11 rebounds today but I think what stands out to me more than points and rebounds, even though those have been pretty solid, is that she's racking up a pretty good number of assists for a big, filling in that Olivia Nelson Adota post-passer void that UConn really likes down there. And, you know, Aaliyah's had decent assist numbers, but I think Dork has been at a different level. She had a bunch of blocks against Florida State. She had a couple today. She had a few steals, so she's been really good on the defensive end. It's just been a very complete package with her. There's not one thing that's standing out, whereas Aaliyah, she's scoring a lot of points right now. And I mean, saying that she isn't providing the full package is far from a knock because Aaliyah's obviously playing so well, but it's more scoring and rebounding and less so blocks and steals and assists, whereas it's not like Dork is putting up a big 
scoring number or biggest assist number or big rebound number, but it's just pretty steady across the board. And you stick her in and you can, it's almost like she's a Swiss army knife, but in the post, because you can either play her as the lone big, or you can play her with Aaliyah Edwards as part of a tandem and everything just kind of flows around her and she can fill in whatever spots she needs to based on who else is on the floor. And it feels like that's what they really miss. Just having that do it all big that shows up every single night, gives you the same effort level every single night and just can do so many different things for you. So that's probably where I've been most impressed and isn't really something that we saw from her all that much last year. Her best games were high point, high rebound games and the passing wasn't necessarily there and the defense wasn't necessarily there. But again, for the fifth time, it is just the full package. Yeah, exactly. I think the other spot that has been really noticeable having her back on the floor has been just the spacing in terms of one, you have to bring more defense inside when you have her and Aaliyah on the court, which has allowed her to kind of have those passes out and have those assists. And then the other piece, I think, is also that Dorga does have the range to see her. She hit a three against Florida State, but I think she has enough of an outside presence that you have to respect her if she steps out for a long two or tries to take a three. And that draws some of the defense out as well when she's on the floor, which can leave more space for Olia to get find success inside, which I think has been important as well in those last two games. I think we really saw that spacing come into play against Seton Hall today because UConn moved the ball really well. It felt like it was one of their best ball movement games in a while as they've dealt with these injuries and you don't really have everyone that you want out there, but the ball moved well and a lot of their buckets were just really incisive passes against the defense where it's not even like Seton Hall played poor defense, but it was just a well-timed cut met with a really well-timed pass and they just picked apart Seton Hall that way instead of, you know, the typical get it inside. And there was plenty of that too, but just the passing really stood out in this game in a way that it feels like it's been a little while since we've seen. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a really positive side to see in terms of kind of getting back to that typical pretty, for lack of a better word, UConn offense. And I think you could see today why this can, especially once AC is back, easily be kind of the best offense in the country if they clean up the turnovers but in general yeah right I mean 38 buckets 30 assists that's a pretty good uh number to rack up a pretty good percentage the 22 turnovers is still a concern but I think the biggest difference in this game as compared to the last one is they let those turnovers pile up in the second half and they gave Florida State the uh opening to climb back in whereas this one the turnovers piled up at the end of the first quarter, but it was still a 15 point game. And they went out and extended that to 20 minutes. They quickly turned that into a 20 point lead. And then it held at 20 points. They never let Seton Hall get back in the game, even when they were giving up those turnovers. And it largely feels like that was because they played better defense and they were way more solid defensively than they were against Florida state. So it's definitely not a great, stat to go into halftime or to the unofficial midway point with how much they've turned it over in the last coming in on four games now but if you can at least prevent it from really turning against you and being the sole reason that the other team is even in the game 
that's a pretty positive sign. So it just felt like such a comfortable win from start to finish in a way that, I don't know, it's been a little bit since we've seen a UConn team just win a game this easily and, you know, not that they didn't earn it, but just it really felt like it was so low effort relative to what we've seen for a lot of this year. Yeah, exactly. I feel like as much as the 22 turnovers is not good, it's kind of like nitpicking on this win because everything else they did, they did very well and really just breezed to a a very dominant win over a good Seton Hall team. Right. Again, Seton Hall's on the bubble line right now. I thought they might have some trouble in this game and it could look a little closer, but it wasn't close from start to finish. It was always a double-digit margin pretty much from the first few minutes of the game. I mean, Seton Hall went 1 of 11 to start the game. Just like that, you take them out on the defensive end, and they don't have their best tool to get back in, and then they're fighting against UConn the whole time. And when you're counting on a team like that to have to get stops and then score to cut into this lead, that's when it's going to be really difficult for these mid-tier type teams that UConn's going to face a lot of this year to fight their way back. So it was just a very this word got thrown around a bit in the post-game press conference. And I think it fits pretty well. It's a very mature performance from this team for a in a season that they haven't necessarily always had the most mature of performances. Yeah, definitely. I think one more thing that stood out to me from this the scene hall game too is that yeah, Lauren Park Lane had 17 points, but she shot 5 of 21 from the floor, and I think that was a really solid defensive performance as well because I think at times there's been questions about this team's perimeter defense and the, the backcourt's defense. And, I mean, Nika was guarding her most of the game, but I did think that was a really solid thing to see. Right. Someone on the other team is going to score points. That's inevitable. And it's kind of weird that we've had two games in a row where the other team gets to the 70-point mark but we still come away largely feeling like UConn played pretty well defensively. And it probably comes back to, gee, I wonder what this is, the turnovers, because Seton Hall had 18 points off turnovers. You cut that number mm-hmm. in half, and Seton Hall is 64 points, and the number at least looks a lot better. And also, 25 of those points were in the fourth quarter when the game was completely over. UConn had a lot of its bench in. I don't think just looking at what the scoreline was and trying to decide how well UConn played is really a great indication of what they actually did because for so long they just shut out Seton Hall. And whereas sometimes UConn had had a little bit of trouble coming up with that big stop when they needed to stop a run or at least, you know, get back on track. It felt like every time they needed one today, they got a stop. They went the other way and they scored a basket, which just, kept that lead intact and never let Seton Hall get any air. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a big piece of it. Um, And also just like they went into their bench early today too. So they played, they didn't play, you know, a a six person rotation. So obviously that's going to cause some, some gaps on the defensive end. And I don't really think there's anything to be concerned about there as well. Um, And then I also think like part of the 73 points is just like the pace that UConn is playing at right now as well. It's, you know, Seton Hall still only shot, I think it was 30 something percent from the floor, but UConn's just paying at a really fast pace. So there's a lot of possessions and that's going to lead to more points. Yeah. And I actually did like the way that CD was subbing today. I thought 
Mm-hmm. She mentioned after Florida State that she thought the bigs got a little tired and she should have done a better job of subbing. And I think we saw pretty immediately that payoff. But Enish had a sprained ankle. I don't know if she didn't play in that Florida State game because of the sprained ankle or because CD just didn't feel comfortable putting her out there. But the fact that she goes in, plays 10 minutes, and again, Everything that we talk about with Enesh is the expectation level is so different for her than everyone else on the team because at least everyone else on the team got the summer workouts. She showed up the day of the first day of the semester. The first day of the semester is the day that she actually arrived on campus. So the fact that she's out there playing 10 minutes, having four assists and looking like someone who is at least capable of helping you a little bit the way that she did against Maryland is nothing short of incredible. And I do really hope that they continue to use her again, 10 minutes a game. And look, a lot of that was probably fourth quarter, but still she got minutes in the first half. She got minutes in the third quarter when it was still close. Use that just to spell Nika Mule or one of your other guards here and there so that those 40 minute games don't start piling up in February and March on their legs. This development is, I think it's not going to make or break the team, but it could certainly help them down the stretch. Yeah, exactly. Especially when you're talking about when you get to March and you've got all those back-to-back games in the conference tournament, you've got a lot of close together games, NCAA tournament. If in some of those earlier rounds, you can have her on the floor for 10 minutes, that just makes everyone's legs fresher going into the later rounds. Yeah, and I think this year's team feels like it's figured out how to play without the players that it's had much quicker than last year's team did. And Mm -hmm. I think it's a little unfair to say that to last year's team because they, they felt like dealt with a little more churn and they had to deal with trying to get Paige Beckers back in the lineup when she wasn't necessarily the Paige Beckers they were expecting her to be. And, you know, it was everything about that season was really weird, but putting up 98 points, they haven't hit a hundred points since they scored over a hundred against high point in the 2021 NCAA tournament. They almost had 98 points with AZ Fudd on the bench. So I think that just shows you how well-rounded this offense is and how many different options they have. It helps when Nika Mule's scoring 16 points, but Caroline Ducharme, 16 points on 6 of 8 shooting, 4 of 6 from 3. That's the type of performance that we were expecting out of her earlier in the year, and we've only seen a little bit of so far. They need that from her. Obviously, Lou Lopez-Seneschal continues to do her thing. Aubrey Griffin continues to do what she's been doing. And Aaliyah Edwards seems like she's taking it to another level. We saw a little bit in the first half of the Princeton game before the injuries hit that they played pretty well without AZ. Then we saw in the first half of the Florida State game before they started to fall apart that they figured it out without AZ. And this felt like it was the first time where it was an entire game of playing well and just playing with whoever you have. And it didn't really matter that easy wasn't out there because other people stepped up and they just tweaked what they needed to do in order to put the ball in the basket in order to defend. So I was a little concerned going into this one. I thought maybe there could be an upset. I wouldn't have put the percentages very high, but I feel a lot better about this team's outlook without AZ FUD, especially going into next week when you've got a pretty tough Big E schedule coming in. 
Yeah, exactly. I would agree with that. I think this is a really impressive win. Like you said, 98 points, no easy fight. I think also 98 points with 22 turnovers, too, is extremely impressive. So, yeah, I think the offense has figured it out. The defense looks decent, especially when it is really that core starting group on the floor. So I think I also feel pretty good about where this team is going into the next two kind of tougher Big East games even if they probably don't have easy fun back for them. And I think we saw before she got hurt that this offense was a little reliant on AZ Fudd. You could argue that maybe they were too reliant on her, but she was scoring 30 points a game for those big games when they needed her to. And if she can have those type of performances when obviously there's only so many points that can go around, but if you get a full strength AZ FUD back who's capable of dropping 30 plus points in a given night, but then you still have six players besides her that are capable of putting up double figures and all of them do so pretty regularly. I mean, if Enesh had 20 points in this game, I don't think any of us would be saying, okay, you can count on Enesh for 20 points a game, but, and 16 for Nika feels a little high, but even if she's giving you 10 points a game, feels like you can almost count on Aaliyah for 20. And if the combination of Lou, Dorka, and Aubrey are combining for between 30 and 40 points, you're probably having a pretty good night. And it feels like most of the time that might be north of 40. It was 37 tonight. But you've got a really good, really balanced team that it's not like teams are just going to be able to cue in on AZ and stop her, which I still think they will. And I mean, they would be dumb if they didn't when she gets back, but AZ is a good passer too. And if she can get it to Lou, Lou's right now got a 40, 50, 90 stat line going. And Aubrey Griffin has been outside of the Notre Dame game has been consistently pretty good this season. And like right around that 13 point mark that she had tonight, every single game and right around that seven rebound mark that she's had, it's just a very well-balanced, well-built team. And Gino's talked about this a lot where he really liked where the team was and what everyone could do with Paige Beckers and obviously you lose her, but they've still just got a very well-constructed roster, a balanced roster, one with a lot of different options here. So lots of optimism to head into the new year with, even though you do have a couple of games left, Creighton's going to be a good test, but I like where this team's heading right now. Yeah, I agreed. I think it's it's this team's in a really good spot for what they have available at the moment. And in a way, I think once they get Z back, they can only be better. So I think where they're at without her is a really solid spot. So to look ahead, UConn comes back on the 28th. That's their next game. They will play 21st ranked Creighton on the road. It's going to be the best Big East team they faced all season. Then they're going to play Marquette on New Year's Eve. Marquette, this week's poll, was the first team out, essentially number 26. They had the most votes of any team not in the top 25. However, they got absolutely rocked today by someone not even good, right? Colorado, yeah. Not a Pac-12 team, but not someone at the top of the Pac-12. So, yeah. Yikes. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, maybe not the same caliber, but... They're a good team, and I it feels like Marquette's reached a level where you kind of know what you're going to get out of a Megan Duffy team, and it feels like a very similar spot as to where 
Seton Hall is where, yeah, UConn should beat them and especially Marquette being at home too. But I don't think it's going to be an easy game. I mean, I think today was surprising and just a really good performance from the team, but I don't, I wouldn't go into that new year's Eve game, just expecting UConn to walk in, take a 10 point lead in the first two minutes and then put it on cruise control the rest of the way. Yeah, exactly. I would expect it to be a tough game, just like I would expect still when UConn goes to Seton Hall that that's going to be a tough game. I still don't think this is an easy team to beat. I think UConn just had an incredible performance today. So I agree. I think that Marquette game is is some one that UConn should win, but it's still going to be a tough team and they're going to have to do some things right in order to win it. But I do think that Creighton is kind of like the marquee matchup of, of next week. Yeah, obviously, we should shift the focus to Creighton before we talk about Marquette. But coming off that Elite Eight run, they've been consistently pretty good all year. I've played a really tough non-conference schedule. It hasn't been the same caliber in both, you know, it hasn't been the same caliber of opponents, and it also hasn't had the same name recognition but Creighton's gone on the road a lot, which isn't something that UConn's done, and it's held its own pretty well. It's had a few hiccups, but for the most part, it's been a very good Creighton team and one that I feel like is probably better than 21 in the rankings. Yeah, I agree. I think they've faltered a little bit in the last few games, and I'll we'll get to that in a sec, but yeah, they start off the season on the road, the South Dakota road trip, which is it's not an easy road trip to play, both at South Dakota and South Dakota State, they sweep that, which I, I forget what the statistics are now because it's been a while, but the, there's very few teams that have managed to take that road trip and, and sweep it, especially to start the season. So two re- really good wins there, and then they win at home against Nebraska that was ranked at the time early on. And then kind of going in December, I think their offense, their three-point shooting has struggled a little bit, which me is something I think they'll figure out. Creighton's always been a good three-point team. They have a lot of good three-point shooters on this team. So it kind of just seems like a rough patch. But they lose to St. John's, which I don't know, feels like a bit of a fluke. I know St. John's is right now, but I don't know that they're actually that good. I think they just only played Creighton as a team that's put, you know, anybody and they managed to win that game. So they made their way into the poll. But they still beat Drake, which is a good win. They struggled against Arkansas, but shot horribly from three while Arkansas saw really well from three. And then I watched them play Stanford last night, and they really got punched in the face in the first quarter in that game. I think Stanford was up like 17 at the end of the first quarter, but Creighton played them pretty much evenly. I actually think they outscored Stanford the rest of the way in that game, and I thought I was very impressed with how they looked in quarters two through four against the Stanford team, especially a Stanford team they're extremely undersized against. They're going to be undersized against UConn too. So it's not like that's an automatic plus for UConn. I do think Creighton's three-point shooting ability worries me though, because without AZ FUD, it feels like UConn struggled a little bit in that regard recently, giving up too many open shots from three. And if it's a game where Creighton really gets hot from three, maybe the way that Iowa did against UConn, I might start getting a little worried about it. Yeah, I agree. And it also feels like they're due for one of those games because they shot horribly from three against Arkansas. They shot horribly from three last night against 
Stanford. They got good looks against Stanford. They just couldn't knock them down. If they had knocked those down, it probably would have been a different game at Stanford. And I think should they come into or well they'll be home, but should they go into that UConn game and get good looks from three and knock them down, it could be a really tough matchup for UConn. Yeah, I agree. And you know, just having been looking at this top. 25 poll with St. John's there. I actually didn't know St. John's popped into the rankings. I missed that on Monday. That feels really funny because if you're looking at the rankings, St. John's is the third best team in the big East. And I think if I was making my own personal power rankings of the big East, I think I'd put St. John's six. I'd have Yukon one, obviously Creighton two. I still think I'd have Villanova three, even though they're below Marquette in the rankings. I think Villanova's played a tough schedule. It didn't look good against Iowa State, but I still think Villanova is a really good team. I'd have Marquette four. I think I'd even have Seton Hall five because Seton Hall's played a pretty tough mid-major schedule. And they've gone on the road to tough places and they've challenged themselves. And I was still decently impressed with how they played against UConn, even though UConn won comfortably. I think at the highest, I would put St. John's six. And, you know, I think it also depends on what type of night DePaul's deciding it's going to have because Mm -hmm. DePaul feels like it's more talented than St. John's, whether or not it's better, but I'd have them right in the six, seven range of the big East. Yeah, I agree with that fully. I think St. John's has not played anyone. And then they got that crane win, which like I said, it feels more like a fluke than anything. And they've made their way into the poll like to acknowledge that someone has them 14th in their AP poll and that person should not have a vote but anyway um, that is also part of why they're in the poll over Marquette but anyway um yeah I do think that they are probably more in that sixth seventh range and that will come down as they start playing biggest competition at the same time it does just show what we've been talking about for a long time where the biggies might not have that competitor to UConn but the next tier down below there's a lot of teams there and it's gonna be I almost worry that the conference might hurt itself a little bit because these teams all beat up on each other I mean I don't think anyone would be surprised if Creighton lost to Villanova or Marquette or even if Seton Hall got them and same goes with Marquette and Villanova like all those teams could beat each other and I worry that if all of these teams have a bunch of losses and they get to the NCAA tournament, the records aren't going to look that great, but what it is is they've all just beaten up on each other. So I would like to see Creighton emerge as like a clear number two, but then if everyone else in that group below, you know, maybe Marquette, Villanova, Seton Hall, um, I'd consider them and then St. John's and DePaul, maybe in a tier below. But if you can start talking about a, four, five bid Big East, that's a really good conference. Even if a lot of those seeds might be low single digits, high high double digits, yeah, high double digits, Mm -hmm. then even still just getting the teams in there is one thing because as we saw last year with Creighton, get in there and then see what kind of damage you can do. Yeah, exactly. I think right now ESPN's Bracketology has six Big East teams in with DePaul in like the second four out. So on the bubble. So there's, you know, seven teams in that kind of, if you include those first two groups of first four out, second four out, 
I don't think that will stay because these teams are gonna beat up on each other, but hopefully what it'll lead to is somewhat of a recognition that like of how good the Big East is and that you know, all these ACC teams and Big Ten teams and Pac-12 teams and everyone else are going to beat up on each other, too, and it shouldn't be considered anything different among that that top group in the Big East. I think we've kind of seen that from what the Big East has done in the non-conference slate. And at the same time, I also don't want to put too much stock into ESPN's bracketology because yeah. they have LSU as a number one seed. Right. And bracketology I just... at this point is ridiculous. Also, yeah, LSU would not be a number one seed. I don't care that they're undefeated. They literally haven't played a top 50 team. <laughs> I don't care that their net is, their net's like number three, but like, yeah, I don't it's, care. The net is not the end all be all. And like, they literally have not played a top 50 team yet. Uh, you can't be a number one seed like that. If that was the case, all these mid-majors that have like one loss at the end of the season would be like a three seed. And that never happens. So I can tell you that that is wrong. And if the committee put out, Brad told you today, they would not have LSU as a one seed. <laughs> I don't think LSU would even be on this, would even be set up to host a game. Yeah. So could they be? What? If they are, then the committee would really better start finding an explanation for how they treat mid-majors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When LSU's upcoming matchup with Manchester Community College a mile <laughs> over from here on Tuesday is going to be their second toughest game of the season. That's how. You, and I love Gino taking the shot at LSU saying yes. that they don't play a terrible schedule because the fans deserve better and the players deserve better. Yeah, I did love that sneaky little shot from Gino even though he didn't name names we all know who he was talking about except for South Carolina fans who are just remarkably stupid and decided they needed to make it about themselves of course they did because they always do (laughs) when South Carolina has played the number two team in the country so yes obviously that's who on the road obviously that's who Gino's talking about and also have UConn on the schedule Mm -hmm. yeah I will say South Carolina's not conference does leave a little bit to be desired this year, but it's not sure. It's not LSU level. <laughs> sure, but I think you can also do that a little bit when you've got the SEC coming up. I think it does help to have some of those get right games in there when UConn knows it has that against the Xaviers and the Butlers. And I'm even going to throw St. John's in there because prove me wrong in Providence and Georgetown. Yeah. They've still got plenty of easy games on their schedule, so I can and like it's not their fault. The SEC is a little down this year, right? So right, yeah, they didn't. I don't have necessarily seen that coming, so it is what it is. But Do, doesn't LSU play Arkansas soon, or am I making that up? I think yeah, I think next week they do. So that should be very interesting. Oh, I'm gonna hate that. Game. I think Arkansas is actually decent. No, they're. Absolutely not a decent team if Sailor Poffenbarge are starting for them and putting up good numbers. No chance. No chance that's actually a good team. Well, they're they're equally as bad as everyone else. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm fine putting it that way. They're just as bad as everyone else. <laughs> everyone kind of sucks. <laughs> have they even played anyone decent non-conference? I know they're 13-0, and 0, but... No, they're, they lost yesterday, so they're no longer undefeated. They lost to uh, Oregon in a pretty close game yesterday, and they beat Creighton over the weekend oh that's right the Creighton one I knew there was some game that just tortured my soul over the weekend yeah it was a little upsetting I was obviously rooting for Creighton as a big east homer but I just really I just really don't (laughs) just don't just don't 
knock UConn as an academic school, say that the classes yeah. weren't engaging enough, and then go to a glorified community college. If if she transferred to Stanford, then I would not have a single bad thing to say about Sailor. But the fact that you trash the school's academics and then go to a school where academics are uh, are not required, we have beef. <laughs> we have major yeah. beef. Exactly. Especially because you come to the top 20 public school. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, anecdotally, uh, one of my friends said that she knew someone who went to Georgetown and they said that Georgetown was actually easier than the classes at UConn. So I'm just going to choose to believe that's the case with all other schools. <laughs> On that note, we will wrap up this episode of Chasing Perfection. A little Christmas pun in there to send us off. Again, we won't be back next week just because of the way the schedule falls, but we hope you enjoy the holidays. Hope you get some good UConn stuff under your tree or... Or however you get your presents. So on that note, thanks for listening. Talk to you in a couple weeks.